Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. How many were excited about today? It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. It is the middle of June and 10 a.m. Y'all pack this thing out. I love this, man. This is, this is beautiful. I know. This is it's really exciting what God is doing. How many of you think the last few weeks have just been special? I mean, they've really just genuinely been special. It's been really neat. God's been doing some great things. And today I want to talk about breaking shame. Uh, and I'm very excited about this message. I think we all deal with shame. We're going to talk about that in a second. But today is going to be a, really a very powerful, beautiful teaching. I, I hope you take notes. I hope you let it sink into your head and your heart because we all need to hear what I'm about ready to talk about. About the next 30 minutes. We all need this, uh, and it's going to be good. All right, so let's get into today, breaking shame. Did anybody ever read the Scarlet Letter? Did you have to read the Scarlet Letter in school? Give me a show of hands. How many of us had to, okay, about half of us, we had to read the Scarlet Letter in school growing up. It written at about 1850 by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and it explores the character, Hester, Hester Print, and she's set in about 1640s Puritan America culture, and uh, she has a child, which would normally be a joyous occasion, but in this case, she has a child out of wedlock. It's, it's adultery, and she is made to wear a scarlet letter A. It has to be, like, sewn onto her dress so everybody is aware of her sin and knows her sin. She had to stand in the public square so everybody could look at her and, and be shamed, right? That was the goal, was to shame her and to wear her shame, to wear her sin uh, on her everywhere she went. And the book really explores sin, guilt, shame, possible redemption, and it's called kind of like an American classic, right? That's why they have us all read it, and it explores these very, very deep concepts. As I was preparing for today, I thought, here we are hundreds of years later, and we're still exploring the same concepts as people. Guilt, shame, sin, redemption, what does newness look like? It's something that all of our souls seem to struggle through. Carl Jung called shame the swampland of the soul. The swampland of the soul. Here's what I believe in a very real and fundamental way, that one of the reasons Jesus came and faced the cross and lived and died and was resurrected for us is because God does not want you living under the shadow of shame your entire life. There is something more than sin, failure, mistakes, shame, and guilt. And we as human beings, we all face shame from time to time in our life. In fact, psychologists tell us that the only people that don't face shame are actually sociopaths. And so if your neighbor never experiences shame, you might want to scoot over a little bit, okay? But most of us are going to deal with guilt and shame. And this morning, I want to define shame a little because that's going to help me because that's going to, going to help me zero in on what I'm really going after this morning, okay? So I want to kind of draw a line between guilt and shame for us this morning. Now, shame, if you begin to study it, is really associated with feelings of failure, public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, social rejection, and the sense of dishonor. In the ancient world... And I wonder, because this in the biblical context, it refers to a person's internal experience of disgrace, fearing how others will perceive them. 
And they have a sense of I have to hide myself to escape from being dishonored and to live in this sense of isolation. While guilt deals with feelings of what I did was wrong, shame is more I am wrong. I am not enough. I am weak. I'll never match up. Or in some cases, I feel I'm unredeemable. And so guilt is what I did was wrong. Shame is because I did that thing. I am wrong. Something is now wrong with me, and I I can't shake this sense of shame. Christians, let me talk to the Christians for a moment, those of you that have maybe been following Jesus for five or more years. Sometimes us as Christ followers deal with even more shame than people that are not following Christ or just new to start to following Christ. Because when you first start following Christ, you're like, well, yeah, I did a lot of crazy stuff, Pastor, but I didn't know any better. And it's easy to think like, well, yeah, you know, because I didn't know any better, you know, and then now I found Christ and he forgave me of my sins and now I'm on this journey of doing right. But when you've been following Jesus for five years or 10 years or 20 years and then you make a mistake or then you commit sin or then you do something, the sense of shame often is multiplied. It's even greater because now you're in this thing that Paul said. He's like, hey, I I know the right thing to do but I did the wrong thing. And I know the thing that I'm supposed to stay away from, but yet I keep committing that thing. And he says, who can save this wretched man that I am? Right? And then he says, thanks God, you know, to be in Jesus Christ. And so there's this sense sometimes as Christians that we'll struggle with shame even more uh, than, than maybe even the world, right? And, and yet I believe in a very fundamental way One of the reasons Jesus came is so that I might live a life of freedom. The Bible says it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And God's good plan does not include a life of you and I constantly being under the shadow of shame. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him, as Savior, he or she is a new creation, reborn and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Old things. Everybody say old things. The previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. God is forging newness and you and I. Even those of you that have been following Jesus for 10 years, I believe God can still do something new. Maybe you've been following God for 20 years, right? God is still in the business of making things new. You and I are in this process of learning to love God and learn to love others. This is what theologians call sanctification. It is this process of me becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, let me go back and talk to Christians for a moment. Christians, yes, you probably have read it in the Bible. You know what's right and wrong. Now you're struggling. Why can't I do this thing? Let me just start with an ounce of grace. Dear Christian, can you and I give ourselves a little bit of grace and a little bit of a break this morning? Here's why. Because you and I cannot grow under judgment. We can only grow 
under grace. Yes, you've read the Bible. You know right and wrong. But you know what? You still have an earthly, fleshly nature. And that nature is always a toddler. It always wants what it wants when it wants it. You still have a flesh. Here's the other thing I found out about the Christian life. The enemy never stops lying. He never stops lying. In fact, I think the moment you start following Christ and you'd make a decision, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm really going to get serious about following him, he lies to you ten times more. His lies get trickier and eviler and more dark. He just, like, he steps it up. Why? Because before he didn't have to worry about you. You were crazy all on your own. And then you make a decision to begin to follow Christ. And he's like, I'm going to step up my game. Right? And he's going to increase the lies often in our life before we have a breakthrough. Right? And so the Bible says that God understands our frame. He knows how we're made. He knows how our mind works. He knows how our emotions work. And God looks at us and he has something called empathy. And he's like, I know how y'all are made. Look, look at this in Hebrews. I love this. It's such a great scripture. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. I love this about the goodness and the plan of God. God had Jesus come and live as a human being so he could understand what it's like to go through life. You know, the enemy never tempts you with something that doesn't look good to you. That's why it's a temptation. It looks good. It looks like the right thing to do in the moment. It feels good. It feels right. You just can't see that there's death on the other side, right? That's what the Bible talks about. It's like it starts with temptation, and then it's sin. When sin is fully grown, it, it gives forth to death, right? The enemy never starts with the hook. He starts with the bait. And yet God in his goodness has Jesus come and live so he could experience what it's like to be pulled by temptation in every way so he could empathize with you and I. You know when you're hurting and you're struggling and somebody comes along and they says, you know what, I know what that feels like. Doesn't that make you feel good? You and I have a Savior who can come to you and I and say, you know what, I know what that feels like. I know what you're going through. I know the duress your mind is under. I know how your soul feels. I know what it's like to be pulled in that direction. I felt it. I've been there. We serve a good God. Dr. Brene Brown, who talks a lot about shame, she says, if you left shame in a Petri dish and gave it secrecy, silence, and judgment, it will flourish. But if you douse it with empathy, it cannot survive. Can I remind you and I today that God in Jesus Christ has doused your life with empathy. Empathy. He came not just to die for you, but to live here so he could understand what it's like to be one of us and show us a way out. Isaiah 61, 7, I love this promise in God's word. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoin in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Church, how does this promise become ours? It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How does God take shame and destroy shame and bring about joy 
in our lives. It is the work of Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, hating its shame, right? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is so profound. I know I'm digging a little bit, but this is so deep. Shame was a major part of the crucifixion of Christ. In fact, the Gospels record different varying degrees of his physical torture, but all the Gospels emphasize the attempts to shame Jesus. Like, this is fascinating. All of them talk about the spitting on Jesus. He was spit on, humiliated. They talk about the striking of Jesus' face and head. They talk about the stripping of Jesus' clothes. Right, in Easter plays, we give him a courtesy cloth, okay? But the Roman soldiers were not so kind. Nobody wants to be stripped naked and beaten and bleeding out in front of their friends and family. The cross was a shameful place to go, right? It was a shameful thing to face. He was ridiculed. He was insulted. The Bible says that Jesus knew this was coming, and he disdained it. He hated it. But he took shame. He took our shame on the cross so that he could make this great exchange with our lives. Last week, we talked about him taking our sin, right? And God nailed our sin on the cross for Christ so that we might be made new spiritual creatures where God would forgive and forget and wash my sin away. And you know what God does with my shame? He placed my shame on Jesus. And so I can gain the joy that he won on the cross and I can live in his freedom and newness. Is it fair? Absolutely not. Is it love? Absolutely yes. I got a simple illustration this morning. Let's see if you can hand me my shoes real quick. And uh, Orlando's going to help me out really fast here. Now, this is just uh, about a $50 pair of Under Armour shoes. These are my daily gym shoes now. Nothing very special about them. They probably smell a little bit because I sweat in them quite a bit. Orlando, why don't you tell me about these pair of Air Jordans really quick? They're my favorite pair. I've had them for a minute. The reason why I love them so much, not only are they probably like the most pricey pair I have, but they're the Giants colors. And I'm a diehard Giants fan, so that's why San Francisco Giants. Right. So big Giants fan, definitely more expensive than the, the simple gym shoes right here, and looking like in very good condition as well. Now, how many of you know if we traded shoes, it would be an unfair trade? Yeah, don't worry, Orlando's going to get his shoes back. Already I can feel the emotion, like... Don't you dare, Pastor, take that man's shoes. No. It would be an unfair trade, right? And so if I traded in my shame, my shoes, and he upgraded me, something unfair just took place, didn't it? I'm able to make an exchange, um, and, it, and it's a great benefit to me. Now, Orlando would only do this for one reason, and that would be love. Why else would you sacrifice to upgrade somebody else unless you desire to show them love? What Jesus did on the cross for us is not fair, it's not right, and it's not just, but it is love. And you and I get to trade our shame and our worn-out souls, our beat-up minds, 
our past, our sins, our mistakes, the guilt and the shame that that causes, and we get to upgrade. It benefits us, but it costs him everything. Amen? All right, you can be seated. You can have your shoes back. It is in this great moment that one of the greatest exchanges of our lives in the universe takes place, the cross of Christ. It is God placing the judgment and the shame and the guilt and everything that sin produced on His Son. And it's not fair. Shame gains its strength in the fear of rejection. Grace gains its power from acceptance. God has stitched a new letter A on our souls, if you remember the scarlet letter, right? She had to wear that letter A everywhere she went. God has stitched a new A on our souls, and that is one of acceptance. You are accepted. Shame holds its power when we fear, if I let out what is to everybody, I will be rejected. God already sees all the dark parts of your soul and mind, and he's accepted you in Christ. Wow. He's literally drawn a new letter on your soul. He begins with acceptance. He begins by dealing with the worst parts of you and walks you out of that into the fullness of his love and his light. And he does it by beginning with love, beginning with acceptance, and then he works backwards. See, our culture is still struggling with shame, right? We're still trying to shame people into better behavior. This is what you see on social media, right? How dare they? What are we trying to do? We're trying to shame people into the behavior we want them to be and to do. This is behavior modification at best. God, through Christ, the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, starts with love, starts with acceptance, and starts with grace, and does a thing called heart transformation. And so now I'm doing the right thing because I love God and I love people, not because I'm afraid of being shamed. There's a lot of people in the world trying to do the right thing because they're afraid of shame. That's not the way to live the Christian life. We're doing the right thing. We're learning to do the right thing because we love God and we love people. They said back in the 40s and 50s, America used to be a culture of guilt, right? You would guilt people into doing the right thing. And they said, today we become a culture of shame. And I really find that to be true. If I look out there, I'm like, it's true. I see shame. I see people trying to shame other people to get them to become what they want them to be. God doesn't work like that. God does not use shame to change. He uses love. I'm going to read it to you. First John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected or matured in love. Shame loses its power in love. Love. Pastor, how do I shake the shame? How do I get away from the shadow of shame? It's God's love. It begins with God's love. God knowing the worst parts of you choosing to come for those parts and to die for that place and to see into that area of your soul 
and to rescue and to save that. Listen, I don't know about you, but it's a good time to give it up for Jesus. He didn't come for the best parts of you. He came for the worst parts of you. That's why the Bible says, I didn't come to call the righteous, right? I came to call the sick, the sinners. I'm coming after them. And then as the Christian life, as I meditate on God's love, if I am filled with God's love, as I dig into God's love, now I begin to do life from a place of love. And I begin to do right by people because of love, not because of fear of shame. You talk about something that God has to walk us all out on, man. But I'm a lot better now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I I think I've shared this a couple weeks ago. I sin a whole lot less now than I did 20 years ago. But I am grateful God loved me before the foundation of the earth, and that is when Christ was crucified. And so today, if you're trying to follow God, man, give yourself some grace because you're a lot farther than you were five years ago. You're a lot farther than you were 10 years ago. You're a lot smarter. You're a lot wiser, okay? And so if you're trying to follow God today and you're still messing up, listen, put a smile on your face because if he loved you when you were straight out there and you didn't care at all, how much more does he love you now that you're trying, right? And, and how do you get better? Love. The moment God begins to fill you with love and you begin to get the fear of the Lord in your heart out of love and you get some wisdom out of love and you stop trying to do everything for love and you stop trying to do everything for shame and running away from guilt, there is power released in our life. Religion is always trying to shame people. It's always trying to do behavior modification. It's always trying to work on the outside. God is always after your heart because if he can get in here, and he can get you to open up to him in here, he can start transforming your life. I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better now than I've ever been, right? And I, I hope in the next 20 years I, I just get better and better and better okay, at this thing, okay? And so today, what am I suggesting? Why don't you open your heart up to God's love and let his grace begin to do what he's always wanted to do in your life? There's an old hymn. And I'm not going to sing it because I want you to stay in our church. But it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How does God defeat our shame? We start looking to Jesus and we stop looking at ourselves. The more you look at yourself, the more disappointed you will be. The more you look at Christ, the more your faith will grow. Because he is great at taking broken people and rebuilding their life. He is great at taking messed up, emotionally messy, mentally confused people and bringing peace and joy. I was thinking about the kingdom of God this last week. I was talking to their pastor You know, and I was like, man, I've just been meditating lately. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy is one-third of the kingdom. And so if the kingdom of God is being established in me, I mean, a third of my default emotions ought to be joy, and another third ought to be peace. And if it's not, maybe I'm not yielding to the kingdom the way I should be. Right? I mean, if righteousness isn't in there at all, I don't know if I'm yielding to the kingdom the way that I should be because it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And as I look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of my faith, 
and I trust him, I start losing myself and I start gaining Christ. Guys, if you're a Christian today, God is working in your life. He's working. Are you letting him work? Are you letting him do what he wants to do? Listen, I want to remodel our bathroom, and it might take another year or so before we get to it because our kids are, like, destroying everything. So I'm like, maybe I should just let the tornado go through, and then we'll fix it, you know? But I am not a handy guy. I'm not a handyman at all. Like, I'm just not. I'm, I'm really not. I can teach a good sermon, but I cannot. I barely pass shop class, y'all, in school. Like, and so, you know what I have to do? I have to outsource to get somebody to remodel the bathroom, okay? Guys, you and I have to outsource parts of our life. And let Jesus do what he does best. You can't fix yourself. And the moment you stop trying to fix yourself and you start trusting Jesus is the moment he'll run into the house and say, thank you, you're going to let me do what I've always wanted to do in your life. Stop trying to self-medicate. Stop trying to self-heal. I mean, yoga is great and everything, but it ain't going to heal your soul. Okay, so it's like at some point you have to stop trying to cover the shame and let Jesus have it. Let him remodel the fear and the failure, and the mistake, because he wants to work in your life. How do you think all these sinners became saints anyway over the last 2,000 years? They surrendered their lives to Christ. Come on. How do you and I get there? You surrender your life to Christ, and you let him begin to do what he wants to do in your, your life. Here's a simple action plan. If you're taking notes, write this down. Pastor, how do I leave the shadow of shame and start walking out of shame, let joy, righteousness, peace be some dominant things in my soul. Action plan. Here we go. Number one, be vulnerable with someone you trust. It is unwise to tweet all of your sins on Twitter. It is. Some people on social media, I'm like, you need therapy, but you need some good friends too. Like, okay, stop. But be vulnerable with someone you trust. In the Bible, I, I see a really interesting relational dynamic. And you had Paul and Silas, and they did life together. And then you had Paul and Timothy, and he was pouring his life into somebody. And then you had Timothy and Paul, where Timothy is looking up to somebody to learn how to grow in Christ. I think everybody needs a Paul. I think everybody needs somebody down the journey of faith. They follow Jesus longer. They know more about the Bible. They know God better than you do. You need a Paul in your life to learn from, to be challenged from, to grow, to affirm you, to challenge you, to help shape you. You need a Paul in your life. You need a Silas. You need somebody that you're doing life with. You need good friends that will drag you along the journey of Christ and not always take you away. I was in middle school. I had a teacher say, show me your friends and I'll tell you your future. Psychologists say that we are the average of the five people we hang around the most. Pick your close friends carefully. Pick your top five carefully. Are they bringing you more toward Christ, or is it a challenge to follow Christ with them in your life, okay? So pick your Silas's carefully. You need people that you're doing life with. And then I think even at the age we're at, even though we're a little younger as a church, you need a Timothy. You need to pour into somebody. There's something in the Christian life that as I pour out, God begins to pour in. And so you need somebody that you're investing in, you're pouring out. But when we talk shame here, I'm, I'm talking the Paul person in your life. You need somebody that you can talk to and say, I'm struggling with this thought. I'm struggling with this emotion. I'm struggling with this temptation or whatever it is. But you need to be vulnerable with someone you trust, somebody that loves you more than you love yourself. 
That's a good, that's a good friend. That's a good mentor. That's a good Paul in your life. Number two, you need to come to the cross and you need to exchange like we exchange shoes. I did that illustration because I don't want you to forget this. You need to make an exchange with Jesus. You need in your heart, by faith, say, God, I give you my shame. Jesus, I give you my shame, and I trust and I receive your newness that you won for me on the cross. Would you cover all my sins and all my mistakes and all my shame? Would you, would you heal me? And God will do that. The Bible says that he is faithful and just. If we repent, right, and we ask him to forgive us, that he's faithful and just, and, and he, will, he will do that for us. There's something real there. It's a great exchange of faith. God will work on the shame. Number three, you need to meditate and grow in God's love. A simple Google search will give you like 30 scriptures on God's love. I think if you're a new believer, this is exactly where you need to start. You need to read scriptures on how God loves you. You need to meditate on how much God loves you. Because why? Love will break the power of shame. If shame deals with rejection, love deals with acceptance. And you want to start meditating on God's great love for you. You get that in your soul, shame will begin to lose its power in your life. Can I pray for us this morning? Everybody close your eyes for a moment. Just lift your hand if you're like, yo, Pastor, that was for me today. I needed that. I received so much. Thank you, guys. Look at this. This is awesome. Okay. Heavenly Father, today we come with a heart of faith. Everyone has sinned. Everybody's made mistakes. Everybody's been lied to by the enemy. Everybody has a flesh. As Matt said earlier, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So, Father, today, as best we know how in our hearts, we want to make a great exchange. We give you our shame, our sin, our mistakes, our past. And today, with a heart of faith, we receive the newness that you won for us on the cross. This is a work that we could not do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot get out of the shadow of shame without you, Jesus. And so we make a great exchange today by faith. And we receive the newness, Lord Jesus, that you offer and that you give. Lord, I thank you for forgiving sins, for healing hearts and souls and minds today. God, I thank you today people get to walk out of the shadow of shame. And it is for freedom's sake that you set us free. In your amazing name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing week.